Greetings, and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and uh, welcome to the 12th episode of the Padres uh, East Village Times podcast. Uh, Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, James. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Excited. Uh, Padres baseball was uh, today, and uh, first game of the year, first game of the CAC this season, and uh, we're lucky enough to have uh, Dennis Lynn here, uh, Padres beat writer for the Union Tribune. How are you doing, Dennis? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. No, we appreciate we appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. I, I know it's been a busy day for you. Um, talk talk to us about uh, the game today. How what uh, you have any uh, specific thoughts? Uh, uh, how did Perdomo look? I know he uh, he hung a little slider there and, and got uh, victimized in his one inning. But uh, any uh, specific thoughts about the game today? Uh, you don't want to get too specific with uh, the first game of spring training, but it was interesting. We got a look at Perdoma, one inning for, for him after uh, Robbie Erlin went one inning. Pretty good velocity. Uh, got up to 95. Um, kind of was a little bit wild, which uh, is probably too, to be expected. Uh, we talked to him afterward. He said he uh, uh, did have some nerves. Um, actually uh, spoke to, said that in English. Uh, he had an interpreter with him, but... Uh, we asked him, did you have nerves? And he understood the question right away and said, yeah, a little bit. So uh, that's to be expected of a guy who's never pitched above single A in the regular season. So I think uh, you'll see that he'll uh, maybe clean up the mechanics a little bit as he gets a little more comfortable later in camp. And uh, he, he's pretty intriguing, I think, as a bullpen piece. Uh, I'd be surprised if he uh, sticks as a starter. Um, and I think they're really going to have to you know, give him some more opportunities because, as you guys know, as a Rule 5 pick, he's going to basically have to make the – roster or uh he's gonna be back to st louis yeah no that's that's definitely an interesting uh you know case for the padres um what what are your thoughts on on the four uh players that the padres uh, picked up rule five uh in specific uh jabari blash who's who uh, a lot of padre fans are, are really excited to see well if you look at just the cost of uh picking up a rule five guy uh, essentially, it's uh, $25,000 a pop. Uh, it's really minimal risk. Uh, maybe not something you would do, uh, considering how valuable roster spots are these days. Uh, if you're a definite contender. And the Padres, uh, you know, even though they're saying they're going to try to compete this year, they're going to try to stay competitive in a very tough NL West division, it looks like. They're uh, taking a chance on these guys uh, on the off chance that, you know, a couple of those relievers help out a bullpen that's pretty inexperienced after Craig Kimbrell and Joaquin Benoit left. So uh, I think it really can't hurt them at this point. Um, if you're kind of a cynic, you'll say, you'll look at the roster and say they're doing just enough to uh, where if, if, if everything breaks right, they can be, uh, you know, kind of an interesting, inter- interesting team. But on the other hand, um, there's little subtle tweaks you can make to your roster where you're, you look like you're trying to stay competitive, but at the same time, you're not going to uh, you know, win too many games. So I think uh, Preller has you know something like that in mind um, as far as the Rule Five pickups. But you mentioned Jabari Blash, uh, pretty intriguing power, a lot of pull mm-hmm. powers to the pull power side, um, mm-hmm. big strikeout numbers. I've seen him you know, swing and miss a few times in batting practice, so that's not a great sign if you're hoping for a lot of contact <laughs> from him. But at this wow. point, um, this team uh, needs a left fielder, and Jabari Blash, if he can. Uh, even just be a you know kind of a platoon guy against left-handers, uh, that might be kind of interesting because they're losing a lot of power, as you guys know, uh, with Justin Justin Upton gone. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead, Patrick. I was just gonna say, uh, going off of that, um, I wanted your opinion on any other players you're looking forward to, because obviously a lot of fans are looking forward to seeing really all the Rule Five guys. But I know Jabari Blash has gotten a lot of attention. 
as you said, for the power. I mean, he's got a lot of swing and miss in his game, but there's definitely potential there. So are there any other guys that you're kind of looking forward to, to seeing more of? I think Christian Bencourt, uh, their new third catcher. Well, I guess uh, you can't really rank them at this point besides Derek Norris being pretty pretty much a clear uh, a clear starter at this point. But between uh, Christian Bencourt and Austin Hedges, it's going to be a really interesting uh, you know, race to see who gets that second spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bencourt does have the advantage that he's out of minor league options. So uh, either they, they keep him on the roster or they kind of risk losing him to, to another team if they put him through waivers. Uh, but then... They had a situational hitting competition. I'm sure you, uh, you guys might have followed that a little bit online the other yeah. day. And he was essentially the de facto MVP. He was hitting the ball really hard. I think at one point he might have hit a ball um, off the batters, I want to say, field one here in Peoria. So I've heard he has you know pretty monster power for for uh, you know, a catcher. Uh, it's monster power for anyone. It's just uh, kind of a one-trick guy as far as offense. Um, but if you can uh, kind of clean up the swing, Alan Zender's, uh, you know, been pretty highly regarded so far in camp. Um, and, and clean up the defense behind the plate. I mean, he has got he's got the makings of a pretty interesting uh, backup, and that would allow Austin Hedges, assuming uh, you know there isn't a trade, to develop his bat a little more in AAA to start the season. Yeah, I'm definitely hoping uh, Betancourt works out as a backup because. As you know, last year, Derek Norris was kind of running to the ground there at the end of the year. It seemed like he was kind of overused. And uh, I think Hedges better fits that kind of minor league role, at least for now, because he's not getting any, he's not really going to get any better as, as a backup catcher playing every, I don't know, once a week, really. So I think it's the best thing for his development for him to stay down there and kind of, I guess, get a little more seasoning, if you want to call it that. Um, but I guess going off of that, um, basically... What are your thoughts so far on Andy Green? I know he's he, basically his new manager, obviously, so he's new to you and everyone else. So what, what do you think so far about him? Until he manages an actual regular season game, uh, I'm going to you know hold off from saying you know he's a better fit for the Padres than Bob Black or even Pat Murphy was. I think we can all agree Pat Murphy wasn't the best, uh, wasn't in the best situation for him or for the Padres. That interim tag kind of stripped him of you know any kind of power coming in. Mm-hmm. But uh, Andy Green, uh, he's definitely, uh, I wouldn't say confrontational is the best word, but he's not afraid to uh, you know, get in guys' faces a little bit. Uh, I know Andrew Kashner uh, had his dog in the clubhouse quite a bit last season. Uh, his dog, Lindsey, uh, Golden, uh, I think, uh, Golden Lab, I want to say. And uh, his first day of camp, he brought brought her into camp, and Andy Green said, uh, you know, we uh, that's not really our program here. We're going to keep dogs out of the clubhouse. So that's something kind of different, um, you know, under, under buddy and Pat Murphy, uh, you had dogs and kids in the clubhouse. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, uh, Andy seems to, you know, really want to be uh, businesslike with, uh, what they're setting down here in spring training right now. So he's a very, uh, articulate guy, as you guys have heard in, uh, these interviews and he really knows what he wants to do as far as, you know, shifting, uh, being aggressive offensively. Uh, they don't have a lot of power as you guys know. So, they're going to have to manufacture some things. So he's uh, pretty, I think, forward-thinking for for a guy who uh, didn't play a whole lot in the majors, but obviously watched the game very closely and has a lot of you know interesting, maybe progressive ideas about the best way to play the game. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out uh, the most for me so far, at least with regard to Andy Green's uh, managerial style, is I like the focus on defense because that's obviously probably the Padres' biggest weakest like biggest weak point basically going from last year. So I think it helps a lot that he's so about shifting and about the best defensive setup. 
because the team obviously really, really needs that based on last year. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And uh, if you look at the up-the-middle personnel right now, in theory, it should be an upgrade. I mean, you've got uh, Norris right now behind the plate. Uh, he made some strides with pitch framing and throwing guys out. Maybe the blocking needs some work still. But uh, you've got him, and Austin Hedges was obviously great as a defender in his limited time last year uh, up there. In the majors, and Alexia Ramirez is obviously an upgrade over uh, the four-headed monster they had to shortstop. And, uh, yeah. Corey Spangenberg's definitely a better athlete than Jed Jerkel. Uh, he's definitely still working on some things. I think they want him to be uh, quicker to the ball, coming in on, on the ball as a second baseman. And uh, if you look at the center field spot, uh, Melvin Upton, John Jay, it's looking like that could be a combination there. Uh, we'll see how left field shakes out. But uh, when you got um, those two in center field, that's that's an upgrade over Will Myers in center field as well. And Myers is uh, – Pretty new to first base still, but I think mm-hmm. uh, he's he's a better athlete than Yonder Alonso. He's definitely going to have to learn the footwork, but uh, he's pretty good at scooping out balls and not reaching too soon, which Yonder was a little guilty of. Um, so I think overall the defense should be better, and we'll see if that translates to the pitching. Uh, I think another interesting thing to, to watch is with all the shifting that Andy Green's going to bring. See whether some of these pitchers buy into that, because some pitchers might say, "Hey, I don't I don't want the shift behind me," and mm-hmm. if they're you know. Being fairly headstrong about it, Andy Green. I don't. I don't think he's going to force anyone to do anything. It's just uh, he's going to show them the charts and the numbers and tell them, you know, this is uh, this is kind of the outcome. You know, maybe sixty times out of hundred, you're going to get an out this way and see if they buy in. But I think uh, him being new and these pitchers wanting to impress him, I think uh, it's going to be a pretty interesting collaboration. Yeah, I think it just takes it takes one hit going through the shift, and and the pitcher starts to question a little bit. So, it's definitely a process that needs buy-in. But I think I think Andy Green's a good guy to get that buy-in from the team. Yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, you know, he's going to bring a lot of uh, defensive shifts, like you say. Um, I'm curious, Dennis, what what is your thought process on uh, you know advanced baseball analytics and you know sabermetrics and uh, stuff like that? Well, I was talking to Chip Hale about this at uh, Cactus League Media Day uh, a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago, just asking about Andy, obviously, uh, because, I mean, what else would I ch- ask Chip Hale about? But uh, <laughs> he uh, he mentioned, you know, that even uh, despite the fact that, you know, Andy didn't play very much in the majors, um, you know, some guys might see him as you know, one of those new school managers. His, his strength is really communicating the info. I mean, if you have a ton of info and you're just – you know, handing out all these sheets of paper to, to players in a clubhouse, and they don't, they don't know what to do with it. That That's not very beneficial. That's just a waste of everyone's time. But uh, according to Chip Hill, he's got a gift of communicating, you know, that info, making it, you know, uh, usable to players. So I think it'll be interesting as we go on, especially with these shifts, to, uh, you know, maybe hear some of the players talk about it. Maybe uh, they did use it quite a bit last year in San Diego, uh, a lot more than they have in the past, the shifts. Um, but it sounds like uh, Andy Green might take it to – a next level uh, with the with the shifting. So, I'd like to hear some of the players talk about it. Eventually, they just uh, introduced uh, you know shifting drills to camp um, mm-hmm. today on uh, Wednesday. Uh, so, I think it'll be a few more days before we see it in games. But once we get there, and once we see if the the players are you know talking about it you know to the media uh, saying this is what we're doing, uh, maybe we'll get a better understanding if the players are understanding what they're doing. So. Uh, the fact that Andy Green is considered a strong communicator, I think, in this case, can only help him. Yeah, he's definitely a strong communicator. You know, talk to me about the difference as far as black 
and uh, Green as far as you know giving um, information to you guys in the media. Uh, it seemed like uh, Bud Black was more uh, traditional cliches, if you will, and uh, Andy Green seems to speak more from the heart. Uh, Buddy uh, has a great sense of humor, so that always made it uh, enjoyable, even if he was feeding us cliches, and, and we knew it, and he knew it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, a guy, this guy's been at it for a long time. Uh, obviously, uh, I think he's hoping to get, get back to a manager's chair at some point, um, but he kind of knows how to dance with the media in that respect, to, you know, give you something you can use, but uh, isn't entirely forthcoming with it. Um, and I think uh, one thing I really respected about the way Buddy handled himself is he always handled uh, team business behind closed doors. He never really air out um, a player in the public or to the media, and that's uh, that's an important trait to have because uh, players, uh, you know, talk to a manager and the manager says, "Hey, I want you to do this and this and this," and they hear the manager talking about you know that to the media before they really get to talk to you know say Buddy or whoever whoever the manager is that that kind of rubs the player the wrong way so I think Buddy had a really great understanding of that and you know he he was he he, he did have a lot of sayings that he went to um, pretty commonly yeah. but uh, that's good yeah, I think <laughs> I think uh, if you're looking for a good quote Andy Andy Green probably fills that role a little bit better yeah um, but it'll be interesting to see how he's uh, he responds to the media when it's July, and they're theoretically. I'm just guessing here. Maybe ten games under 500. It's 95 degrees out, and uh, you know, teams in a big slump. Uh, be interesting to see if he's consistent because uh, that that's one thing that you know made, makes Buddy a great players manager. He's consistent, you know, day in and day out through a very long season. So Andy Green's, Green's got that in front of him. From ju- judging from uh, you know his days as a minor league manager and. Uh, you know, uh, kind of a grinder in the majors. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's got it in him to uh, to be consistent from uh, day one to day 162, or game 162, I should say. Yeah, no, I hear you. That You know, it's nice to hear his heart and stuff now, but uh, when their back is against the wall and when the adversity is in front of them, let's, you know, we'll see how the players respond to his uh, his speech, if you will, and, and that's when a true manager is, is, you know, a true great manager is, is made, if you will. Sure, sure, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so it's, it's we're we're still excited uh, as as Padre fans because he does uh, bring a lot of passion to the to the game and, and to the Padres, and it's uh it's exciting for us at, at the very least. Yeah, so far he's saying I want to say saying all the right things, kind of uh, fitting the role well so far. Obviously, it's it's not real games yet, just spring training, but I think so far so good really in terms of him connecting with um, the team at least and with the fans. I think there's a general support for him and what he's going to bring to the team. Uh, one way or another. So kind of getting off of, I guess, the actual on-field stuff, I wanted your opinion on A.J. Preller, uh, Dennis, kind of how you view him, maybe how he's viewed in the locker room. I don't want, obviously don't get too specific here, but uh, just kind of a general idea there. Well, I think if you look at uh, last off season, I think that caught everyone by surprise just because uh, when he was first hired uh, back in August of 2014, Everyone heard he was a you know drafting and player development guy, international guy, uh, and we honestly obviously didn't see too much of that last off season. Obviously, uh, they they saw they had some pitching with Andrew Kashner and, and uh, James Shields, uh, James Shields coming in, and then uh, Ian Kennedy kind of gets overlooked sometimes, but the ability to eat up 200 innings is pretty important. And Tyson Ross, obviously, so uh, he thought he could kind of you know double down on the pitching and. Add a bunch of major leaguers at the cost of most of his farm system, so uh, that that was kind of a different uh, diff- different route than I think people were expecting. Obviously, he had to get pretty creative to uh, to get the Padres 
to be, uh, I guess, an exciting preseason pick. Um, but now he's kind of kind of backed off that a little bit this uh, this past off season. I think this might be uh, what they would call Plan B or an iteration of Plan B. Just uh, maybe taking a step back and not fully tearing down, but also uh, you know making some trades of Craig Kimbrough and Joaquin Benoit. And uh, the interesting thing I think is not trading you know any of the top three starting pitchers so far uh, because if you're gonna have an outside shot, which I think the Padres do, assuming the defense is better, you're going to have to keep that pitching intact. The, the one thing I'd worry about is if one of those guys gets hurt and then their, you know, pitching values pretty much, their trade values pretty much shot. But, uh, I think you're seeing this, these past few months that, you know, he, he does have a process. Um, he's going to hold out for value. You can debate if he's, you know, held out too long for, uh, for some of these guys, especially the pitchers, but, uh, he's going to, Spent a bunch on the draft this June and spent a bunch on um, the July signing class for, for international prospects. So I think it's going to be a little while before we can really kind of judge A.J. Preller. But uh, he's definitely an uh, interesting guy in the fact that uh, you heard about the trade deadline. Um, everyone said, you know, they he proved every, everyone wrong by not making any trades. He wouldn't talk to anyone. That's not true. He was talking to a lot of teams uh, pretty constantly uh, leading up to the trade deadline. And then they decided to uh, hold on to everyone at the trade deadline because they uh, thought they weren't getting value. So he's uh, pretty convicted in what he thinks is right and uh, wrong as far as it concerns the Padres. So we'll see if that approach works for him. Um, I think some GMs would say uh, AJ has some legitimate offers on the table at the trade deadline. Uh, at the same time, he uh, proved some people wrong, I think, with a Craig Kimbrell trade, what he got back for that. But, uh, yeah, Tyson Ross is an interesting one because he's probably their uh, best trade asset remaining. Uh, so he's one to watch. I, I think they've considered uh, trying to extend him, but at the same time, uh, Tyson Ross is a pretty, pretty smart guy, educated at Cal years when he becomes a free agent. Uh, the value of pitching is going to be even higher than it is now. So uh, that's one to watch. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't see them resigning Tyson. Kind of what you just said. It's, it's the pitching market's getting so, I guess, expensive. I want to say so. I, I'm not sure that's in the plans. And obviously, Preller's kind of walking the tightrope of um, hanging on to these pieces long term, especially pitchers, because, like you said, one injury and that shoots like shoots away all trade values. So um, I could see him trading both Ross and Kashner, or one of the two, this year in July if say the team's not where they want to be but um it's definitely a tightrope to walk because anything could really happen in the next three four months so it's definitely dangerous dangerous game to play um but i guess kind of going off of that what are your thoughts i guess collectively on the off season do you think that he made the right moves um obviously the kimbrell trade was was well well executed i mean he held on to kimbrell last year's deadline to much consternation but he, he ended up getting the good deal in the end so what are your thoughts on that and kind of the moves he did make uh, the Kimbrough trade, I think uh, you've widely heard it's been uh, very positively reviewed, uh, what they got back. I mean, if, if you're not going to be able to get to the ninth inning with the lead, why, why do you have a, a kind of an elite closer on your roster? Um, mm-hmm. And then Joaquin Benoit, kind of same deal there. I mean, he's uh, he's getting up there in age. I think he's almost 39. Uh, you can, I guess, debate you know why, why bring in a 39-year-old like Fernando Rodney, but if you look at his deal, it's very 
heavily based on incentives, and a lot of those incentives uh, wouldn't really kick in until the second half. So if they're out of it by the second half and Fernando Rodney is somehow pitching well and uh, you know back to his 2014 form, which I think is unlikely, but you know maybe if he's you know uh, halfway there, he, he could be a trade chip as well, mm-hmm. uh, just because he, he's still got the stuff. He's still throwing in the upper 90s. Um, but as far as the other moves, I, I think, uh, yeah, again, uh, with some of these moves, you really see there's a thought process there. Uh, um, Alexi Ramirez, um, stopgap option of sorts for uh, Javier Guerra. Obviously, uh, Padres haven't had a whole lot, a lot of luck with their top prospects getting to the majors. So we'll have to see about that one. But uh, for $4 million for Alexi Ramirez, I think that's a pretty good bargain. Mm-hmm. Um, Yonder Alonso and uh, Jed Jerkel being traded, I think uh, – I think when, when when AJ came in, those players. I mean, obviously, uh, hear hear this about prospects he didn't draft, but those were guys who are you know uh, homegrown in Jed's case, and Yonder Alonso been in the organization for a long time. But uh, I think he wanted more power out of his first baseman, and Jed Jerko uh, isn't the classic, uh, I guess, uh, quick second baseman. He does have power, uh, but he lost weight after the uh, I think 2014. In 2014, a lost weight didn't hit like he did in 2013. Hasn't really been the same since. So they're kind of going to gamble with Corey Spangenberg, who's kind of more, uh, I guess, A.J. Preller's uh, type of player. Um, a lot of speed. Uh, can be kind of a dynamic player if he uh, stays healthy. So we'll see on that one. But uh, I think common common theme with A.J. is uh, he likes players with loud tools. So uh, maybe that doesn't describe the current roster, but eventually he's going to have a lot of Latin players on the roster, I think, just because uh, they, they tend to uh, be the kind of players, you know, kind of grinded out players that, that you like. So nice. we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. But uh, right now, I think the off season, I think it, I, I'd give it maybe a, a B if I had to give it a grade. I think it was a pretty well thought out off season. Definitely. I think that's a fair assessment for, for what they've done. Um, you know, they did, they are saving a lot of money uh, in the future. Uh, with Kimbrel and, and Jerko and uh, and Alonso and Benoit gone, um, where do you think they're going to spend that uh, money? Do you think they're going to go with draft, uh, international signings, free agency? Where do you think that they're going to um, allocate those funds to? I don't think you'll see them spend a whole lot in a free agency um, mm-hmm. right now, especially because the next two classes aren't going to be great. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe that'll change, but I think you hit it on the, he- the, the head with uh, you know the draft and. Uh, international prospects uh, i mean if you look at their bonus pool coming up for uh, for june it's about a it's going to be about 13 million dollars and that's that's pretty significant because last year they had a uh, they had to give a pick for james shields and that's a lot of uh, bonus value they, they gave up to to sign him so i mm-hmm. think they spent around 3.6 so you're talking about almost four times as much as they spent on the draft last year wow. they're gonna they're gonna have this year and obviously that's more picks in the first round i, I don't think they've had three in the top 30 since uh i think 90 1999 so that's kind of a big deal for these guys uh amateur uh, scouting department has been revamped under preller a lot of guys from the previous regime have left and he's kind of brought in some of his own people so uh he's gonna have to kind of prove uh he can live up to his reputation there and then the july uh july 2nd class with the international guys i think you're gonna see uh you know two or three cubans at least and that's what everyone's been finding for some cuban talent so uh, mm-hmm. he might finally deliver on that. And he's been waiting for the uh, last couple periods just because uh, you kind of want to get into the market when some of these other teams like the Yankees and the big market teams are kind of restricted. So there's less competition. So I think uh, people who say, you know, yeah, it hasn't been one. Gonna, um, you know, uh, Ben Badler is reporting that uh, the Padres are, are favorites for uh, Lazarito. Um, do you think that's somebody that they could um, 
really sign or you think that's just kind of uh the kind of information that's being put out there right now as far as the Padres and the the flexibility they have with their payroll and yeah no that's a that's a legitimate report in my opinion uh Lazarito uh he's looks like now he's probably gonna wait until July 2nd to sign of course the Dodgers can always come in uh the Dodgers have already gone past your uh, cap this uh this signing period so they uh they're going to be restricted next signing period, so that they might just say, hey, uh, you know, screw it, we're just going to spend a whole lot more to the signing period. They could always come out of the water and just blow everyone away with a huge offer for him. But if he's going to wait until July second, I think um, the Padres and the Braves, who also are planning to spend a lot, uh, the Nationals are another team who are planning to spend a lot on the uh, next signing period. I think those teams are you know all pretty heavily in the mix, and um, you can't really uh, judge. Uh, club's interest based on whether they hosted an open showcase or not, uh, which the Padres did for Lazarito uh, you know, a couple months ago, but uh, th- they have ever since then and even before uh, I think scouted him as extensively as any other club has, so that says something, I think um, the fact they're going to go over with one of these guys they're uh, pretty aware that the next CBA might change some things there might be an international draft, you never know uh, Rob Manfred's talked about that, so this is kind of the year for them to spend and I expect them to break a lot of, I guess, club records for international spending this July. Yeah, this is kind of what I've been waiting for because when Preller was obviously hired, it was he's kind of the international guy. That's kind of how he was known in Texas. He did a lot in the international market. So it's kind of like been waiting for that, I guess, as Padre fans, kind of what's going to happen, who's he going to sign, that sort of thing. So it's finally hopefully coming to fruition this year with all these guys that they're uh, reportedly interested in. And it also helps that teams like the Dodgers and Yankees and all the big spenders won't be uh, a part of that next class because of the uh, restrictions. So I think they definitely could sign some some great talent here in the next few months. Um, so we're kind of going to take a detour from that. Um, actually, we lost James apparently. I just I just heard Dennis. So I'm going to sure. be running the end of this solo here. Cool. Yeah, his iPad I guess froze. So <laughs> just me, <laughs> just me and you now. Um, gotcha. So I wanted your opinion on some uh, an article you wrote, some recent comments from Padre ownership. Uh, Mike D basically uh, more or less implied that the team could be, uh, I guess, buyers at the trade deadline if if their team is, I guess, in a position to win. So I wanted your thoughts on that. Um, kind of, do you think that's a realistic opinion, or is he kind of, uh, I want to say, blowing smoke? <laughs> what are your thoughts? Well, if you notice, he added that qualifier if uh, if we're in, you know, if we're if we're living up to expectations, and their expectations are a lot higher, obviously, than uh, mm-hmm. or at least what they're putting out there is a lot higher than what other people are expecting. So I'd say it's unlikely they meet those expectations. You always want to kind of set the bar low, especially with a team like the Potteries that's underperformed for a lot of years and just uh, been a general disappointment. So. I think um, the fact that they're just going to spend so much on the June draft and the July signing class, uh, I think those should weigh pretty heavily into you know what they consider doing the July uh, trade deadline. Because yeah, you can you can go for it and say, hey, we're right around 500 uh, theoretically around then, and we want to add a couple pieces. But uh, the fact is, 500 in this division is probably not going to cut it. You're going to have to go on a pretty big run in the second half and. Uh, I don't think they have the pitching, especially in the bullpen, to uh, you know kind of match up with the rest of the NL West. So I'd say uh, you know, long answer short, um, if you want to call it blowing smoke, that might be it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he he did add that qualifier, you know, if so, we'll see if they get there. But right now, I'd say it's unlikely. 
Yeah, it just seemed like a, I want to say disingenuous kind of comment. Like, do you really think you guys are going to be competing? I mean, no offense, but it's like <laughs> the team you put together is not going to be great this year. I mean, you're in the right direction. You're taking the steps forward that you need to take, but it just seemed kind of like a weird comment that kind of came out of the blue, really. Yeah, to be fair, uh, I asked him a question. Um, you know, are you guys reallocating resources this year? And I think uh, every fan wants to hear, you know, if we're you know kind of close to it, we uh, we want to see our ownership go for it. I mean, after all, it's just money. Uh, but again, it's it's a lot of money. It's a considerable considerable investment they're going to spend on June and July. So that's something to keep in mind. I know people don't think uh, whatever happens two or three years down the road isn't. Uh, they think that's not sexy, but uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of the plan for for AJ Preller. And it's kind of interesting because he's on a five year deal. About three and a half years, three and a half years left on his deal, so uh, he might not get to see the fruits of those efforts. But uh, you know, a good GM would just uh, kind of stick the course, stick to the course, and uh, build for the future here. So it looks like that's what he's going to try to do. Yeah, I always tell people that uh, a general manager's not quite like a manager; it's more of a, a five-year plan. I want to say, which makes sense with a five-year deal. Uh, you can't really judge a GM based on one year. I mean, obviously he made a lot of flashy moves, um, didn't work out. So he got a lot of criticism for that. But I think he obviously deserves the chance to fix those mistakes and uh, build this team up. And he's he's got a pretty good chance to do it this year with six six top 100 draft picks, um, three in the top 30. Um, all that money they could spend on international players if they so choose, which it seems like they will. So I think that the, the team is definitely going the right direction, even though maybe the product on the field won't be as good as we, we would hope. But um, if the four-year plan, five-year plan is, is working, then I think it's going to be good going forward. Yeah, in the meantime, uh, these owners keep saying um, we're, we're liable to make moves anytime. I don't, I don't really exactly know what that means because, again, they don't have a ton of great trading assets in the organization. I don't think they'd flip a guy like uh, Manny Margot or Javi Guerra. Those guys are you know building blocks for the future for them. So mm-hmm. unless they're going to spend a ton in free agency, which probably isn't the wisest thing to do, um, I think uh, there might be a couple uh, slow years here for, for Padres fans, but uh, if they can kind of see the long-term vision, that, that might make them understand. Uh, but at the same time, it's understandable that they'd be impatient given the, given what's happened the last uh, 10 years here. So, uh, yeah, um, AJ is going to have to get creative again, um, but I think uh, he probably doesn't have as much latitude to uh, you know, do something as crazy as he did last offseason going forward. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I agree with you that it's going to be kind of quiet, probably, except for the whole international signing. That should be a rather exciting thing to watch for. But um, in terms of trades, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be quiet. I mean, the plan's in place, and it's as hard as it is. We have to be patient because, as as fans, it's been obviously a while since a playoff appearance, and we're, we're itching for that. So, uh, I just wanted to ask you one more thing before we go. Um, what 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 are your thoughts on the clubhouse so far this this season? Kind of what's different about this year's clubhouse, maybe compared to last year? Kind of what's the vibe like, sort of thing. Well, um, I think uh, people have talked about the music a lot, just the music they're blasting around around the camp, um, mm-hmm. different places, and and the last uh, last spring, uh, Matt Kemp had brought his speakers into the clubhouse, and he's always he's always uh, uh, playing music in there, which is. Uh, I guess kind of his prerogative. I mean, it kind of uh, he's kind of looked to looked at as kind of the leader of the team last season, and he still is. Uh, him and James Shields, uh, guys like Derek Norris. Um, and speaking of those guys, they are back for a second year. Uh, guys like Will Myers. So that should help the comfort level with those guys. But at the same time, they they do have a lot of new faces, a lot of uh, 
kind of anonymous faces, especially in the bullpen. So it's, I felt like, uh, yeah, it's spring. So everyone's, you know, spouting the same platitudes about how, you know, everyone's optimistic and they're O and O and they're going to compete. But at the same time, they, they know that, you know, this is kind of, kind of a year where they're taking a step back and hoping things gel under, under, uh, Andy green, but it's definitely, definitely a different vibe. I think a little more, uh, workmanlike not to you know, disparage what buddy was doing last season um mm-hmm. but there's uh, there's been no basketball competition so far on the uh, the outdoor court here which is kind yeah, of i heard a, about that i thought that was kind of interesting that i don't know if the players are being worked that hard that they don't have the desire or the energy but that, that's definitely an interesting thing to hear yeah yeah especially last spring um guys would you know shoot right after a workout and uh, they come out and they're flip-flops and mm-hmm kind of uh, hoist up a few jump shots but i haven't seen any of that at all this year and um i I don't don't know if uh andy green's saying no you can't do this he said you know i haven't said anything to them but um i think guys are just trying to impress uh the new manager and uh it's it's interesting too because aj preller's a big basketball player and uh, you haven't seen him take any shots either so (laughs) maybe he's just figuring it's better to stay away from the you know rock star gm labels and all that and uh just keep your head down this this spring and kind of you know, let people decide what they want about you, but at the same time, they're going to try to overperform expectations, and uh, we'll see if that works or not, but I think Andy Green's a big part of it. Yeah, it definitely seems like they're uh, all business here this this uh, season. Um, so thanks so much for, for coming on, Dennis. I know you have a very busy schedule, especially with spring training games starting today, so we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to, to talk to us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, uh, Patrick. Of course, man. Any any time you want to be on, um, we we are open doors here. <laughs> yeah, let uh, I hope uh, hope James gets to listen in at least to the end of this. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll 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 have more conversations, I'm sure, throughout the season. Of course. Thanks again. Take care, Dennis. All right, you too. All right, thanks uh, for Dennis Lynn for showing up uh, and talking to us uh, about Padre Baseball. Uh, unfortunately, I had a little bit of a technical difficulty, but I'm back. Um, it was it was fantastic talking to Dennis and getting a little bit of insight on, on the Padres, and uh, we appreciate him uh, taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, it was great talking to Dennis. Uh, had a lot of good insight, um, some insider information that maybe you don't hear about all the time. Like that thing about Andrew Kashner and his dog, I didn't even know about. That, yeah, that, so. exa- yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff is, is 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 nice little tidbits of information that we definitely appreciate. Yeah, definitely. So we, again, thanks Dennis for coming on. Great to talk to you. Um, as always, you can you can find us on iTunes, uh, East Village Times podcast. Uh, we're hosted on Podbean, uh, same name, East Village Times. So give us a follow and review on both. Um, that's about it for me. Great. Thanks uh, for tuning in, and uh, we appreciate it, and uh, look forward uh, to giving you some more uh, exclusive content here on uh, East Village Times. Uh, East Village Times Podcast, signing out.